Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Julieta Televi. And joining me this evening to take your questions and discuss the markets are Tommy Netta from Shiloh Capital and Wayne McCurry from F&B Wealth and Investments. If you'd like to send questions to us, please SMS 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.today or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag Stockwatch. Tommy, Wayne, good evening to you both. Uh, Wayne, if I may start with you. Not a great day on the market today, um, but it has been a very good uh, Monday and Tuesday. So was it inevitable yes. that you'd see a little bit of a pullback today? Or Probably, in, in yes. Term, yeah. I mean, the higher oil price doesn't help much. But, you know, I think we are in some sort of bottoming phase of the market. I think the big weakness is done. I mean, who knows where the bottom is and who knows when it's going to turn up. But I, I really think we are in some sort of bottoming phase. I mean, the market's valuations are not bargain basement price like they were in 2008 after the crash and like they were with, with the COVID crash. But they certainly do represent, you know, reasonably good long-term value at these type of levels. Mm. And I, I, as I said, I think we're in some sort of bottoming phase. So who knows? But uh, <laughs> I think the majority of the market weakness is over. Yeah. Tommy, do you agree or do you think that um, this is sort of the dangerous part of a bear market where you get these kind of really quite vigorous rallies and you think, oh, okay, it's all, the bad news is all over, let's climb in, and then they suck you in and then they spit you out? Yeah, I think uh, volatility is the name of the game. Uh, our view is that uh, we haven't reached the bottom. I think there's a lot of supply side issues we're still yet to deal with, um, especially in Europe. Uh, and and as well as with the whole lockdowns around COVID in China. So we're, we're yet to see a lot of stories unravel, um, and we can't necessarily say how it's going to unravel in the future. So I think at this stage, um, look for value, look for quality, uh, and be prepared for volatility. Can I just ask you both, um, the fact that the the jobs numbers that came out, that's the, the labor market stats out of the US over the last couple of days, suggested they weren't that great. And it is, the irony is that the market reacted positively to that because they, the market thinks, oh, well, maybe the Fed's not going to be as aggressive in hiking rates because there's a bit of weakness now in the jobs market. When... Is that the market sort of trying to hold on to something or, or, or really quite a, a naive view that actually... The Fed's going to is is on this inflation beating train, and it's not getting all, mm. off it anytime soon. No, the, the 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 Federal Reserve inflation is enemy number one, and they will crush that at any cost. So so and and they're not influenced by a few days data. However, inflation is going to fall rapidly at the in in the second half sometime of next year, and I mean truly fall rapidly, and I think may even undershoot eh? you know, on the downside. Surprisingly enough, I mean, it sounds crazy to say that in this type of high inflationary environment, but when you start measuring year on year with prices going down, you could actually get inflation surprising on, on the downside. Hmm. And nothing sorts out the oil price, nothing sorts out wage pressure like an economic slowdown. Yeah. It, it sorts it out very quickly. OPEC can do what they like. Mm. You know, if you go into an economic slowdown, commodity prices are going down and there's no more wage pressure. Maybe just one last question to you, Tommy. What did you make of that OPEC announcement today, that they're going to cut production? It's uh, what equivalent to about 2% of global production. Uh, it's yeah, obviously not what the US wants them to do. Yeah, they're trying to manipulate price. They're trying to get a better price. 
but unfortunately, it's not uh, just about the pricing, it's about demand. So how much do people want to consume the products you're producing? The U.S. is looking inward to their own production. Um, Russia is selling oil at significant discounts to very large markets like China and India. So they have to do something about the way they are pricing their product. And they're trying to fix the pricing by reducing their supply. And also, I think it's, it's important to recognize that uh, unlike other countries, our, our, in South Africa, we have explicit inflation targeting. In America, they've got a dual mandate. The Fed has a dual mandate of inflation targeting and employment. So whenever uh, the bigger markets look at certain commodities, certain stocks and markets, they look at it from the Fed perspective, not necessarily from the perspective of other sort of central banks. So the view is that uh, oil as a product is going to face some headwinds going forward okay. uh, on the OPEC front um, when people can buy it at a 20% discount on the, on the, on the uh, Russia and China front. Okay, all right. Well, let me get to questions because there are a lot of those. Um, and one came through a little bit earlier. In fact, there's two questions on the RSI retail bond, the five-year bond, which offers 11.25%. So the first one uh, is from a student. He says, I'm 22 years old. Is the five-year fixed government bond at 11.25% a good investment? And how big is the risk involved? And then another um, viewer, um, sorry, um, asked essentially if he uh, he's thinking of selling 30% um, of his portfolio um, now and buying a five-year retail bond at 11.25%. Uh, could you please discuss the pros and cons? Um, Wayne? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, 11.25. Yeah, of a 22-year-old, maybe starting off yeah. with that. Okay, 22-year-old, you should be owning equity and owning it for 40, 50 years, and you will probably be very happy with your investment. But I'm talking then about a 20-year-old, maybe from an investment viewpoint. You know, 11%, that's going to be 6% real in the not-too-distant future. That's sort of the upper end of long-term equity returns in real terms. You know, it's an extremely good investment in the shorter term. Now, I think the equity market's going to bounce and bounce quite strongly in the next year, year and a half, two years. But on a five-year basis, I think equity will battle to beat 11% compound on, 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 on a five-year basis. I, I really do. So I think it's a fantastic investment opportunity. Okay, unfortunately, you pay tax. And, you know, all of my calculations, you know, managing pension funds and stuff like that, um, we, we look at the gross expected returns, not the after-tax return. So the after-tax return doesn't look as attractive. Okay. But from a pure investment viewpoint, it is a significantly good investment. I mean, yeah. I think both David and I have added at stock picks now for a while. Yeah. I mean, tell me, uh, to the question of selling 30% of your portfolio, I wonder if that viewer is maybe more advanced in years than the 22-year-old. Um, it would be interesting yeah. to know how old they are. I mean, <clears throat> um, I, I mean, do you think that that should have any influence whatsoever? Yeah, and it also depends what you're selling. So what in your portfolio you're selling to, to move to this uh, trade? I think uh, Wayne is quite accurate. Um, you've got to look at inflation and projected future returns of your current portfolio vis-a-vis -vis the real returns of the bond. And in my view, I think it's gonna, inflation is going to go down, so the real returns for that bond are going to be quite high. And you have to compare that to your current portfolio especially around dividend yields. So 
what is your current portfolio yielding dividend wise and if it's comparable to what you get as a real a real rate of return from the bond then selling 30 percent is not a great idea okay. but if uh, 30 percent of your of your portfolio is in crypto i think there's a view in which you can look at a, an 11 percent bond return more more favorably okay and if you were fresh completely fresh money coming into the markets um would you put <clears throat> would you put a portion of your money into that bond? I mean, just going back to if you were twenty-two. Yes, yes, because um, you're gonna get you're gonna get those returns, and they're gonna be consistent over the five years. Uh, right now, the equity markets are quite volatile. Um, you won't necessarily get those type of or the projections is you won't get that type of return over the next five years due to the volatility, and we don't know the future. Uh, this bond provides with some certainty. Yeah. Um, over the course of 25, 30 years, however, um, that's not the case with the equity market. So it's a five-year bond. You can take a five-year projection of where equity markets will be. Uh, given the way the world is working now, um, you may actually be a net gainer by making that mm. trade. Okay. All right. Uh, then there's a question asking uh, which of these three options would be the best for me to allocate my monthly tax-free allowance of 3,000 Rand into the S&P 500 ETF, giving a fair bit of diversification, and the NASDAQ 100 ETF, more tech-focused, or the global ETF, also giving emerging market exposure. Um, Wayne, do any of those... Well, if, mm. if, if those are the alternatives, I'll actually surprise you not go for the NASDAQ. Because you, I think the tech shares are the most bombed out. Well, they've been affected the most negatively and they've probably got in the medium term more upside. Yeah. Tommy, how about you? Agreed. Agreed. 100% agreed. And okay. the valuations on the tech side are quite depressed. Um, and there's, I think there's plenty of value there to be found. Uh, just if you put your money in something of that sort, I think over the long term when uh, valuations sort of stabilize, you're going to make some money. Hmm. Okay. Um, and then there's a question on, um, uh, sorry, if I uh, pull it up, um, apologies. Uh, considering Anglo-American and BHP Billiton, is it a good time to buy and which of the two would you prefer? Tommy, I'll start with you and then go back to Wayne. Um, do you think it's the right time now? Well, uh, I think, it's, I don't know if it is the right time, but I think if I were to choose between the two, I'll choose Anglo. Uh, I think I prefer their portfolio mix um, and they have geared themselves for the future after unbundling the coal. So I think they're going to attract a lot of ESG money going forward and their renewables and their battery sort of angle, uh, battery technology angle. So I think they're going to attract a lot of funds and a lot of support on that mm -hmm. side. Um, so of the two, I would choose Anglo. Mm. Wayne, how about you? And, and also as to the timing. Well, look, both of them have got very attractive assets. I mean, Billiton's got, got a lot more copper, but it's got oil. So when I don't think, well, I'm unbundling the oil, but I'll go for Anglo-American. I'll go for Anglo-American. I, 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 they have the highest quality platinum asset in the world, and I'm very bullish about platinum longer term. Hmm. Exactly right. Okay. So much uh, agreement this evening. Um, and then I don't know if either of you f uh, look at Europa Metals. Very small and interesting uh, little miner with an exposure, I think it's zinc, in Spain. Do either of you look at this one? Unfortunately, not. No. 
Okay, so I'm sorry to the viewer. This is sort of a real, that is a real niche uh, um, a stock. So we'll have to pass on that, um, uh, our apologies. Um, and maybe just one question before we go to the break. Um, uh, a viewer wants the panel's view on the following shares at the current value. Um, also wants to know if you're actually holding any of them in your portfolios. It would be Mondi, Impala, or MTN. Um, Wayne, I mean, Mondi has been a, a real disappointment. It has yes. had a lot of issues, though. You know, it's had to, it's Russian business that it's had to deal with. Um, but are there, are, there, are there other factors there that have depressed the Mondi share price this year? Look, I think Mondi is very cheap at this, at this level. I, I think they, they've got an enormous advantage over, over other people, other players in this market in that they do the specialist packaging and with the move to online, and that's not stopping anytime soon, there's actually huge demand for the specialist packaging and, and the type of products that Mondi actually make. So I'm, I'm very bullish on Mondi long, longer term, and I think the share price is reasonably good at the moment. Mm. Tell me your thoughts on Mondi. Um, do you own it and would you buy it? Um, we own MTN, so we're quite bullish on MTN. Okay. But uh, Mondi, I think, uh, as, as Wayne said, they have a unique market position. I'm not sure how long they'll hold it um, and if any other cheaper alternative or competition will come in, especially somebody who can import stuff from Asia. So I'm not too sure of the future of the company. But on our end, we are, we are bullish on MTN. I think we, we believe their market position is quite strong. And if they continue to hold, especially their Middle East assets, um, and uh, and sort of weather the Nigerian fine every election cycle, <laughs> I think they're gonna they're gonna do really 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 well. Yeah, that is, it does seem to recur with sort of uh, a consistent regularity in Nigeria whenever government looks at its coffers and thinks mm, we need to plump these up yes. a bit. Um, what about Impala Platinum? Um, specifically, you know, Impala's. Uh, Impala um, and Northern on, in the fight to get hold of RB Platts, it's a very, it's a, a battle that is just grinding on now and you kind of wonder how it's going to end. Um, Tommy, just sticking with you, do you look at Implats at all? Do you think it's... Um, no, I think they're, they're, they're much more efficient uh, miners in terms of platinum. Anglo is one, Sibanya is another. I think you also have got to look at the mix of what they produce um, if you're only going to do platinum, you're subject to the vagaries of the platinum price. Um, whereas there are other miners who are around who've got a great portfolio mix, Sibanya is one, Anglo is another. So what you want is to see the quality of the resource, the mix, and their ability to weather uh, price adjustment. Uh, right now, everything is great because of what's happening with Russia. But mm. tomorrow, a deal is signed between Russia and Europe, and we're back to competitive markets. Uh, my money would would not be on uh, Northern or in Pala out sooner back Anglo or Sibanya in regards to platinum. Okay. Uh, when similar view or do you have a slightly different yes. take? Yeah. No, I think Anglo <laughs> is the is the premium one there. Impala's got a lot of less, I suppose, more marginal mines than than Anglo American and of course they've got you know, they've got exposure outside of South Africa which sometimes doesn't help them. Mm. Okay. Um, then a viewer sent us a question which I, I mean I suppose it's a fair question to ask uh, people will, will wonder this um, and he said or she uh, said uh, on one of the news channels today an analyst blamed the JSE for going into the red to load shedding water issues and a leadership vacuum no, um, do your guests agree no um, no to, uh, 
yeah. You can't dismiss these look, cases look, out of hand, but um, I mean, <clears throat> look, look, it's it's very it's very simple. It's just numbers. Maybe only twenty five percent of our JSE is directly related to South Africa and the South African consumer. Another thirty percent are mining companies that obviously mine in South Africa and are affected by load shedding. But what happens to their share prices? What happens to the commodity that they sell? And then the, the balance is truly global companies that have virtually nothing to do with mm. South Africa. So, I mean, obviously load shedding and water shedding and whatever else is going to be shed at some stage uh, doesn't help, but it's not the reason why. Mm. I mean, tomorrow we can go to stage six, but if the U.S. share market goes up, our market will go. Yeah. Go to stage yeah. eight. If the U.S. goes up, we go up. If the U.S. goes down, we go down. Mm. Having said that, for the portion of the JSE that is SA Inc., Tommy, do you think there's a certain wariness from maybe either either local participants or overseas funds looking at the South African story and looking at, you know, from outside and thinking, geez, none of this really stacks up to great news? Um, or do they look past our, our parochial issues, however much they, they're really great uh, residents of a city such as Johannesburg? Yeah, I think uh, global investors look at the numbers uh, and more often are pragmatic before they are they're emotional. So if you consider that South Africa is less than 1% of global GDP, um, they are one of the, it's, it's one of the smaller, in terms of GDP, uh, emerging market countries. It has, the most Ill, it has the most liquid emerging market currency. You're going to start getting some capital inflows as, as the risk of adjusted returns become better. So I think uh, global investors will look at the numbers, will look at the ability to, to provide returns, they'll look at the JSC liquidity, which is in comparison to the BRICS partners is probably the best. They'll look at the RAND, which is a very liquid currency as well, and is also an index for emerging markets. Um, so when you look at those uh, sort of metrics, you're going to get capital inflows. Now, ESCOM, on the other hand, is I think is going to affect more the private, uh, so sort of private equity side, where um, there's small businesses, um, fuel stations, and so on and so on, companies that don't necessarily um, indicate or reflect on the JSC, um, and that's where the pain will really be felt. But on the listed market, uh, not so much, and we're going to see a, a fundamental sort of sh sort of understanding that shares may, to some share prices may, to some degree, be delinked from companies. So, so my, our view is that uh, the private equity sort of environment is going to really feel it, but the listed equity environment, not so much, especially the mines who, who benefit from um, the price of their commodities more than yeah. uh, necessarily the power cuts of ESCO. Okay. Well, thank you very much for sketching it out, the both of you, um, uh, so nicely. Um, then uh, there was a question on whether the three following shares provide good value at current levels, City Lodge, Sassel, or Transaction Capital. Uh, City Lodge has been bumbling around under four rand. It was Chris Gilmore's pick again on Monday nights. Wayne, um, your thoughts no, on... I like on City Lodge. Yeah? I, I, I think that despite all the issues we've got and despite all the headline news, this is a great and cheap country for tourists from overseas. You can come here and experience the most wonderful things at a fraction of the cost of going somewhere else. And 
I, I think that, I mean, City Lodge, I know, is not directly related. Or, you know, they're not as exposed to tourism, but it's there and it will certainly be part of it. And also people, I think, are, are traveling more business-wise as well. I mean, I certainly am, mm. you know, significantly more than last year and the year before, obviously. So, yeah, I actually quite like Sit City Lodge. I mean, it's not a big share. Don't put all of your money into it. <laughs> but I actually, I actually think it's in quite a nice space where it is now. Yeah. Tell me your thoughts. I mean, because I think a lot of people, it, you know, they had a nice spurt and then everything's just kind of dribbled back for City Lodge. Yeah, I think uh, uh, I'm with Wayne on this one. I think City Lodge is a view on business travel um, and, and domestically and then internationally on tourism. I think uh, the mix of that revenue breakdown will be the determining factor. But I think they, they are an insight to, to business travel. So if you're going to have a, an investment view of hospitality, um, you can go strictly for the Sun International or Soho who are uh, largely uh, tourism or travel based. Mm. But if you want to diversify that and consider the fact that uh, people with short term stays um, who travel around the country will opt for the city lodge before they opt for the more expensive uh, stocks, uh, more expensive uh, hotels, yeah. I think, uh, and, and Airbnb. And I think that's the major issue City Lodge will face because they are in direct competition with Airbnb, mm. uh, given their price point and and business travel. But I think the exposure to business travel uh, in do domestically, uh, City Lodge provides a great a great view. Yeah, Cecil, um, Wayne, I mean, with OPEC uh, cutting back on production, um, the oil price rallying a little bit, the rand where it is. Wait, what what do you no, make of Cecil I, at the I, moment? I think hold off on all commodity shares in the very, very short term. Uh, you know, OPEC can do what they like. If demand falls, demand drives price, not supply. Uh, I think there is still some more downside, specifically after this rally we've seen into 90s on, on oil. So I would actually hold off on, on, on Sassel. I mean, when, when you look at Sassel, in the share price now is just over 300 bucks. You know, it's... People must not forget that it's a very volatile company. You know, it's gone from, was it 20 Rand to 440 Rand back to 300 bucks. Mm. In the shorter term, I would hold off a little bit. I mean, they have sorted out all of their problems and their debt. I mean, they sold a, an asset right at the bottom because they were forced to, but I mean, that's all behind us now. Uh, but I would hold off, yeah. Yeah. Tommy, very quickly, your thoughts on Cecil? Um, I think they're good business. Uh, with a speculative stock price. So at this stage, again, I agree with Wayne. And I think uh, OPEC is in trouble. Um, they're trying to manipulate pricing, but the demand side is a problem. Uh, who's going to buy their oil? Yeah. Um, just sorry, very quickly before we get to uh, your stock picks. The view on BATS, British Americans are back at the moment. Tommy, sticking with you. Uh, it's okay this year. It's not been too bad. Yeah, I, I think they, they're in trouble. I think they're in an industry that's, uh, although they sell an addictive product, I think over time the world's moving against them. And where they produce, at the cost they produce, and who they sell to, uh, the demand side is going to decline. And the ability to produce at a profitable rate, the tobacco, is also going to be a challenge over time. So uh, there are more profitable alternatives for a farmer to produce than tobacco now. Uh, macadamia, for example. So... Uh, I'm not. I'm not over the long term. I'm not pretty, uh, bullish on BAT. Okay. All right. I'm going to get to your stock picks. Um, then, Wayne, what are you keen on at the moment? 
I'm just going for the, the old share index. You can get an index tracker. You can do what you like. I think you'll be quite satisfied with your return on a three to five year basis. There could be more downside, as I said earlier on, but the all share shows reasonable value at at this type of level. You know, we haven't we haven't seen a, a reasonable level like this for a while. So yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll just go for a straight South African all share index index tracker. Okay, Tommy, how about you? Uh, the ten year UK gilt. Uh, the Bank of England basically has underwritten the trade. Uh, we were shorted before. Uh, we swung the trade when we realized that uh, the Bank of England is going to uh, start buying up bonds. So I think that price is going to continue to tick up slowly as they continue to demand uh, and try and control inflation. So the UK 10-year guilt. Okay. They haven't been buying as much as um, the market might have expected them to in the last... I think I saw an FT article saying that only bought like, a very small amount of bonds in the last day or so that doesn't yeah, worry they, you. Ha they haven't but no no i think that uptick in price is quite uh, is quite great i think they are also going to have to be forced to continue extraordinary measures uh as a result i think they're going to have to at some point intervene at a scale that's unprecedented hmm. sure okay well we shall leave it there tommy when thank you very much for joining us this evening Nice to chat to you both. Nice to see you both there in the light, your, uh, your electricity <laughs> in full supply. Uh, Wayne McCurry is from FNB Wealth and Investments, and Tommy Netta is from Shiloh Capital and Zanati's Backlist. Stockwatch tomorrow night. Have a good evening.